Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Tom Vanderbilt talking about how we can inspire our teens to be more confident in trying new things and learning new things by being lifelong learners ourselves. Tom went on an expedition. Tom noticed that as a parent, he was spending so much time kind of on the sidelines watching his daughter practice things and learn things and get better at things. And that he as an adult wasn't spending much time doing that himself. And as parents, it's really easy to get into ruts of only really doing things in our lives that we're already pretty good at or things that we've been doing for quite some time. But it's great role modeling to take on some things that we're not so good at yet and to show our kids that it's okay to struggle with things and that if you persevere hard enough at learning something, you can get better. Tom wrote about all of this in his book, The Joy and Transformative Power of Lifelong Learning. He has written for many publications, including the New York Times Magazine, the Wall Street Journal Magazine, Popular Science, and the Smithsonian. He's also the author of Traffic, Why We Drive the Way We Do, and two other books. Really excited to speak with Tom today about becoming a beginner again. Talk to me a little bit about this book, Beginners, The Joy and Transformative Power of Lifelong Learning. You uh, went on a quest to become a beginner again. What inspired that and, and what kind of did that lead to? Sure. I think, you know, probably the, the main catalyst here was the idea that I became a parent. My daughter is now uh, officially a teenager, but when this book uh, began, she was much, much younger. And uh, I think, you know, and any parent, it becomes a beginner, whether they want to or not, you can sort of try to do research ahead of time. And you know, a little bit about the whole process, but it really just threw me into a tailspin. There were a lot of things I just didn't know, didn't anticipate as much as I could be prepared, like the amount of hours I spent researching, you know, kind of like dumb stuff in retrospect, you know, what stroller to buy, you know, uh, so, uh, but you know, I was essentially middle aged, I was an older parent and being a beginner was a very new process to me. You know, you hit middle age, you think you have it all pretty much figured out. You've mastered some stuff maybe, and, you know, you're in the mid-career and you've got that part set. And uh, so this just upended my world. So that, that was sort of the beginning thing. And then as she started growing, you know, kids want to do stuff and try stuff sort of endlessly. And they also need to be taught. I mean, some things they can figure out on their own. But so I found myself in this position, you know, of trying to teach uh, these skills. I mean, when I couldn't teach a certain skill or that well, I would, you know, send my daughter to a class. I was one of those like over involved New York City parents and, you know, a lot of classes, a lot of running around. And during these classes, I would find myself sitting on the sidelines, just waiting, usually sort of scrolling through my phone. And at some point, I think it was like during a swimming class or something, I thought, you know, what, all these classes, you know, all these things I'm having her learn. Yeah, like, what was the last 
time I learned a new skill? When was the last time I was a beginner? Uh, instead of just being the kind of, you know, coach parent figure who already knew everything. And uh, so I, that that was kind of the precipitating thing. And I, I wanted to get back to that stage of being a beginner, both for my own sake. And also I thought there could be some interesting uh, lessons to apply uh, to parenting. Like what would it be like instead of my daughter only seeing me as this authority figure who knew everything, to see me struggling along with her as we tried to do some new things. So, sorry, long story, but that was uh, that was the beginning of Beginners. I think it's so easy to kind of fall into that role of being the parent who's like, hey, I just take you around from thing to thing, and you should definitely be trying lots of new stuff and learning lots of new things. But there's also this extent to which we start to kind of see ourselves as like a fully formed person or something and we kind of stop just trying to like stretch ourselves in new directions and then also like you're saying i think that then also sends this message or creates this uh idea for our kids that's where they're gonna go too is like oh and then you know now i'm a kid so i can you know maybe try some new things but you know pretty soon i'm gonna start getting older and that's when i sort of start to like get set in my ways and you know say okay here's who i am and uh there's something really liberating about kind of just changing your mindset on that i think there is and you know this is something that and one thing i i also noticed during going to all these classes or sports or what have you is that there were just a lot of parents sort of, you know, sitting around. I actually did a, an article once about, it's a long story, but some the parent was telling me about they would go to their kids' football games or whatever, and parents would just sit around for three hours in these lawn chairs. And this one woman said, you know, well, at least let's get like a little exercise group going when, you know, make that time, you know, a bit productive. It's like parents just take themselves out of the equation, make themselves the spectator only. You know, perhaps there's a thought that's sacrificing themselves for their kids, but I don't think you have to do it that way. You know, I think in terms of the one of the takeaways for learning and children is that there's an interesting study that they, you know, had these kids in a lab and some psychologists, you know, did these experiments. They showed a kid a task and then tried to have the kid uh, replicate the task. And they had a person who did it really quickly without any, you know, issue. Then they had someone sort of struggle to figure it out. And the kids who watched the person struggling to figure it out then took longer to more successfully complete the task. The other kids, you know, sort of gave up sooner. They're going to persist a lot longer if they've seen modeling that, hey, it's going to be hard, but you kind of just keep pushing through versus... Exactly. Yeah. So like, <laughs> some of these things I was trying to teach my daughter, like uh, learning to ride a bicycle, I could ride a bicycle very well. There was she saw no struggle there. Already good at it. Right. So they look at you and they're like, Oh, okay. But it's easy then to sort of create that that mentality that it's like, okay, well, so kind of you're either good at something or you're not good at something. And I guess this is just not my thing. So I shouldn't uh, work hard at this. And we without really trying to a lot of times, I think we kind of model that idea, uh, because we're only doing things that we're good at, or we're already good at a lot of times in our adult lives. Precisely. And this is something that, you know, is becoming drilled into kids, I think, at an ever earlier age, this idea of specialization and becoming finding that thing a lot earlier and the, you know this great book by David Epstein called range you know looks at these pro athletes and the there's some pretty compelling cases where the ones who really did the best later on were the ones who had done a bunch of different sports when they were kids not the one who was you know kicking a soccer ball only since they were age since they were age two but you know one thing I, I really took away from this book is that 
so I undertook a number of skills. I tried to learn or at least, you know, sort of have a passing <laughs> familiarity with certain things like, and they were a range of things, surfing, singing, drawing, making something. And for the most part, things I'd really wanted to do for a long time and it had prevented myself from ever getting to for a variety of reasons, which we can talk about later. But one of the things that, that lingered in my mind is like, I, I never became really great at anything because, you know, I just, I don't have really have the time is my main excuse. But I became good enough that I thought, you know, in retrospect, going, you know, I'm not an amazing artist, but I picked it up enough of it fairly quickly that if, thinking back, if I had gone back, you know, several decades back to when I was a kid or high school, if I had pursued that path in some way, I, you know, I have no doubt that I could have found myself in some kind of artistic related career had I just applied myself, you know, because we, we get hung up on this idea that it's all talent and certainly talent does. And it's like this innate ability and almost that like as parents, we're trying to help our kids find what are those things that are like uh, that you have a spark in or that you're kind of pre-wired to just be awesome at. And, oh, it seems like this one, focus on this, those other things. <laughs> you weren't really good at those. Don't worry yeah. about those. But yeah, how helpful is that? Well, we do really do it for certain artistic things in particular. I mean, no one says, you know, oh, that kid was born to be an uh, air traffic controller. You know, he just had that gift at age five. You know, I mean, and I, I don't want to say there's anything wrong with, uh, you know, identifying uh, an interest of a kid and trying to develop it. But there's a lot of research that shows that a lot of times it's not known early on that kids will have various paths they may turn down and even some, you know, super well-known, let's say, piano uh, classical piano artists were not prodigies. They didn't really develop until a later age. So uh, we, I don't want to get hung up on that because it just feeds in this same cycle that then perpetuates itself even deeper into as you get older and then particularly into middle age, by which time all those thoughts have hardened. And you're like, if I wasn't an artist then, I'm certainly not going to become an artist now. So why even bother? And, you know, I'm not saying you have to be an artist in, in capital letters that it's going to be a mid-career uh, job shift, but that there's a, a lot of pleasure and other things that are less, you know, perhaps tangible that you can take away from these learning experiences. And to try to bring it back to parenting, again, you know, another thing that I found happened is that I was really able to find a bond and a connection with my daughter through the shared pursuit in particular of some of these uh, tasks. I, I should say that when I say that I tried to take on a number of these things, uh, I also kind of put my daughter in that role of she was going to try to some of those things as well, whether we're doing this together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As we're about this. Yeah, it didn't always work. But some things she was more into than others. But, you know, it was great to kind of have that, that shared growth where we're both starting as beginners separated by all these years, but kind of undergoing the same process of novelty and embarrassment and making mistakes and seeing your world expand by the acquisition of, of this whole you know, new knowledge base and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I think, you know, to this day, we I participated in a chess tournament with her uh, last weekend. And she, of course, uh, beat me. But that's a whole other side of the equation uh, that you might not get as good as your kid when you learn something together, but it's, it's a good prompt. 
I thought that was really fascinating when you talk about sort of the trajectory of chess that it seemed like you were kind of picking it up a lot faster than her at first. But then as time went on, uh, she sort of kind of steadily <laughs> eclipsed you in chess skills to where now you're like asking her like, hey, can you help me with this uh, game I'm playing online real quick? You see any good moves here? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I think, you know, kids are such brains are just these sponges. It really is true. And they are just learning machines and they're acquiring all this information of forging all these connections. I have a lot of already forged connections. My brain is a little bit slower. What I brought to chess was this knowledge of sort of how to play games in general and patience and a little bit more awareness of how to learn something in a systemic way. Uh, she kind of brought this more rapid fire ability to spot weaknesses and patterns on the board. So in the beginning, I was just simply sort of more patient and I could kind of understand, okay, we're learning a game, here's what to pay attention to. But that quickly, you know, subsumed under her just sheer, you know, kind of analytic and processing power. So I, you know, this is kind of a, you know, a lesson to the adult beginner, you can make a lot of progress and you can be become very good at something, but it's not necessarily going to be as easy as your, you know, child who's undertaking that same thing for, you know, several reasons that I've just mentioned. But again, not a reason to abandon hope. And I have also beat her on a number of occasions. So this is not, you know, we have hope, the older set. <laughs> not all is lost. I thought this was such an interesting section of the book. You talk about uh, the differences in what's happening in the brain, where the aging brain is compensating for uh, various kind of slower processing abilities by building scaffolds, connecting more wider areas of the brain, but this can cause some interference. And you say younger people show more modulation. And I wonder what that means. Yeah, I kind of use this uh, analogy of computing you know, like my brain is just an older desktop computer that is, I've installed a lot of applications. Those programs are trying to connect to each other. There's a lot of, you know, sort of lingering stuff in the, uh, is it RAM or? You got to defrag. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. Whereas my daughter, it's like, you know, she just opened this brand new, you know, top of the line Intel, whatever, uh, you know, <laughs> gaming laptop that is incredibly powerful and doesn't have much uh, installed on it. And she can just totally really bring the entire focus of her, of that mental power onto a problem without much getting in the way. Whereas I have, you know, as you kind of mentioned, this interference, I might, in trying to learn a new skill, I may have the memory of some other skill I've learned getting in the way. I may have the memory of that time I fell two decades ago and hurt myself really badly. That's getting in the way. Uh, she is just really more of a blank slate. And that in the computing metaphor, it's just a faster, you know, more capable uh, machine, whereas I'm trying to bridge together that scaffolding metaphor, you know, I can use more stuff. I have wisdom, I have memories, I have experience, I have, you know, uh, perhaps a higher emotional intelligence, all these sorts of things. But that's kind of a lot to bring on board and it kind of slows me down. And some of those things you don't need in a game like chess, like emotional intelligence, you're just there to win and to, you know, to, to play well. And, you know, another thing that does get in the way of the adult learner is that confidence uh, question. Kids are highly confident. We as parents try to make them so, you know, we encourage them constantly for a good reason. You know, you can do anything. You can learn this. Don't worry if you don't get it right away. They grow up in a very supportive learning environment, whereas adults, we tend to be pretty hard on ourselves. If we don't 
get something right away that we're trying, we think, oh, that's not for me. I'm useless. You know, we don't have a supportive audience of adoring people necessarily looking at us like, oh, that's so great. You're trying to learn to sing. Aren't you wonderful? You know, it's more like, honey, can you please not sing in the living room? Can you go upstairs or something? Like that's sort of more the vibe. So uh, another possible, you know, obstacle for the adult learner that the child learner doesn't have to deal with or even the teen learner as much. But also like tying that back to what we were talking about earlier, how cool is that to be modeling that, you know what, not everything is going to just come easily. And that like, wow, you're picking this up faster than me, but I'm still gonna, I'm not going to just give up. I'm going to keep working on it. And the benefit of like pushing through things sometimes, and also just modeling, doing things that we're not necessarily just already great at or that don't come easily to us. And I think, yeah, it's such a cool opportunity the way you frame it in the book of doing things together with your child, learning to uh, play chess with your daughter, going just, hey, she, you're taking her to track practice. You're going to just run while she's running. And uh, or you guys will learn how to swim uh, long distances in the ocean together or some of these things. And it's like a lot of times she's picking it up faster <laughs> than you are. But that's really cool, actually. And I wish it was something that was, you know, a little bit more, you know, I try to get the message out. But for example, when I try, I can't remember what I was looking for, but I was researching, you know, classes that you could actually do something at the same time. And uh, this is just a market that is not really out there. When I entered into Google, like learning things with your kid really just presented a lot of information about how to kind of supervise your child's learning. Didn't this notion that you might be, you know, part of that equation was just left out and doesn't even compute. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. I've talked to an interesting woman in the Chicago area who had been one of these, let's say karate moms, just sitting in the uh, dojo. Is it a dojo? I think, uh, uh, you know, while their kid was up there doing all the stuff. And, you know, one day she's, I think she was sort of talking to a few other mothers who just had the idea that, you know, maybe we could give this a try. And, you know, the instructor was sympathetic, and he didn't actually have a class set up for that. But he said, you know, if you guys want to come at, you know, four o'clock every day, we'll make it happen. And so this woman really took to it, and actually became competitive and ended up at a turn a national tournament with her young son, who was also doing quite well, they didn't, you know, enter the arena together to go against one another, but they were there together. And she said, it, you know, it was one of the most amazing moments of her life, but it sort of took that motivation on her part to, to find that learning opportunity. I mean, there, there's often, you know, some, sometimes you can find adult classes. Uh, it's, it's particularly harder for older adults, but then the idea that it's going to be a mixed class is just, is very rare for, for reasons that aren't entirely clear to be, except for there's the market interest hasn't been there, but maybe much demand. Yeah. 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 There's a whole chapter in the book on babies and how they learn to walk. Why do you go into this in so much depth? And what did you learn about learning from uh, going to these labs that study how babies learn to walk? Yeah, it's, I, you know, I thought, who would be the ultimate beginner? And it would, I thought, well, it's just, you know, basically an infant. Uh, we're, we're all, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're all beginners at some point. And, uh, you know, I, so I thought, like, what do we come into the world knowing how to do? I mean, very little, really some elementary sort of bodily functions like breathing. But, you know, so what do we learn to do? And we do become master 
walkers, for example, it sounds sort of funny, but, you know, we put in those 10,000 hours of practice more than that. And by the age of, you know, uh, six or seven, and then for the rest of our lives, unless we have some difficulty that comes along, you know, our master walkers, we don't have to think about walking. It's a skill that we can, that we have aced. We can do other things while we do it. So so, it happened that there was, in New York City, there was a a great place that this was, the research was going on at that infant action lab it was called at NYU where you know they really watch infants in action and to see how these learning processes happen and walking was just fascinating I mean the first of all the number of times that an infant falls while trying to walk per hour is astonishing it can be upwards of like 60 or 70 times and you know they're kind of built for this their bodies are very not super rigid and they kind of have soft padding they fall, they don't suddenly look, oh, geez, I fell again. I'm just not getting this. They fall, and they just like bounce right back up and just keep going. Uh, so so that, that was one you know, major takeaway of something that we may have forgotten, that to become master walkers, we had to fail an awful lot, you know, more, more so than we would ever imagine as adults. And then another thing that was very striking to me was just the sheer amount of walking. I did a piece for the Wall Street Journal that was related to this, and I had a statistic in there about it was a certain length of football fields that the average infant in these studies walked in an hour. And my editor saw it. He's like, "That you have to check that fact because that can't be right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was panicked. I thought, well, I'm pretty pretty diligent with this. But I called the researcher and she's like, no, that that's the statistic. So we just, there's a ton of practice. And yeah, well, isn't it like two and a half football fields? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I recall that from the book because it blew my mind. Yeah. Hey, we're here today with Tom Vanderbilt talking about how we can inspire our teenagers to be confident, making mistakes, and learning new things by being lifelong learners ourselves. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. Another thing we might forget is just how much time it took us to get to that point of learning. So then I wanted to project this forward into an adult learner trying to take a class in, let's say, skiing or something. And, you know, you go to the lesson, you fall 30 times, you barely make it down to the bottom of the bunny hill. Like that is not a reason to think you're not going to be a good skier, could be a good skier, a reason to give up. It's just classic uh, beginner behavior that a lot of us have have forgotten about. Yeah, so I thought, you know, infants were just that fascinating learning process that is, and then, you know, one other thing that emerged that I thought was really interesting is they they would have infants do these experiments like when they were learning to crawl, and they would give them certain obstacles, like a ramp, and the infants would figure out, they would like figure out the ramp, and then they would have a fall-off, and they would figure out whether they thought that fall-off was too risky, and there, there was always a person standing by, so they weren't putting infants at risk here, I should say. Knowledge has been divided into two broad categories. Uh, Declarative knowledge, that's basically knowing about something. And there's procedural knowledge, which is knowing how to do something. You just have to leave that kind of declarative side, that analytical side of your brain out of it because it will interfere. I mean, the classic example is something like walking, which I mentioned before, we're all masters at walking. But when people have suffered something like a stroke and their walking is impaired, they then have to essentially relearn how to walk. And what people do is sort of think about how to walk. And then they, you see them taking these odd, you know, shuffling steps because that you're too self-conscious of it. And that sort of self-conscious energy is 
literally getting in the way of you know, your, the connection of your brain to your nerves and telling your muscles, you know, what to do. And it's kind of a two-way process. And hip, 30 degrees, extend <laughs> knee, flex <laughs> ankle. Oh, no, flex knee. No, sh oh, sh That's a great description, by the way. <laughs> I'm all for competition and, you know, finding the best talent. I am admittedly not one of those parents that goes to a soccer game and is told there's not going to be a score kept. As a soccer player myself, I would not be happy with that. But even if you do have this, the you know, a choir of, let's say, quote unquote, the best, it doesn't mean that you can't have other choirs that are not necessarily intended for, for kids who are even thinking of pursuing a career in that field. You know, other sorts of just more, we, we've lost a lot of that recreational, just doing it for fun aspect. And this is something my daughter even reports to me now. I mean, there's certain things she really likes to do, and there's other things she likes to do somewhat, but since I'm mentioning soccer, you know, she did a year with the soccer team, but she hadn't played that much when she was younger. And she found that the kids, and this is, uh, you know, in the middle school, she was playing with were already so good and it was treated so seriously that she didn't have fun during the year. And she wasn't terrible. I think she could have grown into it, but she just wasn't finding it fun. And we looked around and there, there just wasn't even another option for a more kind of, let's say, chill uh, soccer experience. It was all, it's all these academies and, you know, and training, you know, during the summer and, and, you know, I'm not quite sure for what, because the, you know, a professional soccer that, you know, th this is a thing I'm always amazed by, you know, the chances of that ever becoming your career are so vanishingly small, especially in the United States, obviously, but uh, the amount of uh, attention and focus we put on trying to develop the absolute best soccer players at the expense of some other qualities and characters we might want to build, I think is, you know, a little uh, disappointing. And again, it's not to say I don't like <laughs> competition and all that. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.